everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Call Time. I'm speaking to one of my great friends I've met over the past year that has been very, not only supportive of my craft, but, but also just supportive of uh, how I am in her theater collective. Uh, her name is Valerie Corelli. I know I probably put, uh, butchered the name already, but I've known, as I said, known her Val for at least a year or so, going on a year now. Uh, I was in one of her stage, well, I wouldn't say stage reading, but Zoom readings for, I believe it was, hang on. Oh, crap. It, it's, it's a Bruce Willis movie, Metal Street. Death Becomes Her. There we go. I was in a Zoom reading of Death Becomes Her, fun reading, and then it just became like a, everything just sort of like bounced off of everything else where it was just like, I love doing this. And it was a great way to essentially spend my week, uh, a weeknight just to be with all these great people who just do all this for a, essentially like maybe two hours of their time, maybe two and a half hours, depending on the play, three hours if they're doing a very long play. But you could probably tell more about that when you had, when we talk about, you know, the theater collective by itself, but Pavel, how did you get into theater? Or were you always not a theater person per se until you just kind of like got into theater? I grew up with a lot of musical theater in my house. Um, my dad would play Fiddle on the Roof and South Pacific and Pippin pretty much on replay. You know, I grew up watching Disney movies, Wizard of Oz. My mom, same thing. You know, she has a love of music and she used to play the flute. So we, we, we were a very musical family. Um, the Cornelia the clan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know, uh, I, spelled it, I said it incorrectly. So you, you, no, you're totally no, fine. Listen, you're totally fine. It's absolutely okay. It is one of those last names that... Um, it is uh, spelt the way it is, and it, I, there is no offense taken. So you are absolutely one hundred. Um, but yeah, no, like like I said, we were we you know we were a very musical family. Um, you know, we all played musical instruments. My father, in particular, is very musical. He um, he plays guitar, banjo, ukulele. He he's a piano a bit. He's a, he's very 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 good at, at what he plays. And in middle school, you know, we had the spring musical every year. So I, I, we did the music man in sixth grade and I, I signed up for it and auditioned, yeah. got in. And then, you know, it's at seventh grade and eighth grade. And when I got to high school, you know, I really started developing more of a love for it and doing the plays and, and working, you know, not, not performing, but doing a lot of the stage crew and, and design work. And I really kind of fell in love with it. Um, and thought maybe, you know, around the time when they started asking you, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? I thought maybe theater was probably something that I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. My sister, Michelle, um, had wanted to be an actor and she's two years older than I am. She ended up coming, <clears throat> excuse me, and she ended up coming to New York when she was like 18, 19 years old. She went to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. And I said, you know, I, I really want to to, to follow in her footsteps, but not as an actor, but doing stage management. Yeah. I was stage manager my senior year of high school for our, our musical. I had written, I had co-written and co-directed our, you know, student production that they did every year. And, and it was really, really good. 
and, and I went to school for it. I went to Wagner College on Staten Island uh, for four years. I, I went as a stage manager and I realized kind of very quickly that it was something that made me, uh, wasn't the thing that I, I wanted to do for the rest of my life, but I would still stick with it while gathering other skills. So I worked in yeah. costumes. I primarily realized how much I loved directing. So hmm. I directed a lot of the student shows performed in a couple of them I'm not I'm not primarily an actor I do want to state that yeah from the get-go I I'm, I'm no actor um and then when I graduated I was very fortunate to find work as primarily as an assistant stage manager in various theaters and and around the country and I was very lucky to uh have the career that I had up until about 2018 when I decided I was in New York and I was doing uh, the New York Musical Theater Festival, which d unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. It should, but unfortunately with money, you know, yeah. we, we all know how that goes. Um, I, I decided to, you know, temp and find maybe a little bit more of a, a general position as a, some, someone, as something in a, in a, corporate job so I had you know I worked as a receptionist for various companies and yeah. I was currently as a receptionist um and I was and I was great and that was great for me because I was able to still kind of do the theater thing at night and and do work on my schedule which was great and then COVID hit <laughs> COVID COVID COVID-19 that thing yeah um, that switched everything into essentially a frenzy it's like I can understand it it's whereas it's like you want to do, you want to be part of the performing, performing arts role, be it as an actor or maybe a director, writer, stage hand, well, yeah, stage, yeah, stage hand, you know, work behind the scenes as yeah. a, maybe a stage manager, but it's still, it, it's more harder because one, the job market on a, on theater is like very limited almost by uh, show basis because one, if you're not part of, say like a more a unionized group or equity or something like that, or you don't have an agent or something like that, it's much more harder, especially as an independent artist. It's, it's actually, free, it's a lot more harder as an independent artist. If you're a freelancer in New York City and you're doing theater, good for you because it is, it is, it is not easy to live that life. It is not easy and, and kudos to all the actors that I know that have gotten up at 5 a.m. to go to Ripley Greer audition for maybe five minutes in a, in a line with 200 other people and then yeah. they go on their day job and that goes for also the technicians as well like anybody that works three four technician jobs a day then they go to bed and they wake up and they do it again I give the the amount of respect that I have for anybody that does that is is sky high this is not an easy this is not an easy life and I think we both I mean you and I both know that oh yeah you know I, there's I, nothing I, like I mean but don't get me wrong there's uh, nothing I, of course not. There will be there is nothing like living that theater life in New York City, and I mean really anywhere, but specifically New York City, um, it, it's a craft of its own. It really yeah, is. because you have essentially, you know, even though I work, even though I see myself primarily as an actor, I've also done writing. I've also tried in my hand at directing. Uh, I have a lot of back behind you know behind the scenes uh, experience, so. I try my hand at stagecraft, you know, stagecraft, either as a stage hand or maybe even as a, uh, I was about to say a lecturer, um, a carpenter assistant, especially for set designer, because I know yep. there are, I know, 
a few set designers who was like, hey, you know, I'm going to be uh, doing a show. Um, I'm going to need a, an extra hand. Could you do it? I'm like, yeah, sure. Because, you know, I, I, I love working with tools. And, you know, my father, you know, he's a he's worked with tools all his life. And I'm just like a lot of the stuff I learned from my father. And I learned in my uh, professor, in my, uh, my uh, building classes, especially in college, you know, I've grown a lot to a point where it's like, I kind of feel comfortable with tools, even though like when I was a kid, I was like, I wouldn't like hearing tools and stuff like that too, but that's a different story. Uh, but sorry, you talk about tools and I just had a flashback because I am not handy with tools at all. And I felt terrible because, you know, as a, when I, at Wagner, if you were a design tech person, you were in that, uh, that field, you had to take shop. Yeah. And help the sets and it was terrible. I couldn't do it. I, I was horrible building tools i remember trying to have to build um a frame for the newsstand for guys and dolls and it at the end and he gave me like two hours to build it and at the end of it it was still just four pieces of wood i i couldn't do it for the life of me and i was so embarrassed by it but never put a tool in my hand and (laughs) i can't do it so um for you that you i'm so happy that you can do it because yeah i mean there's a lot of tools. I mean, there's a lot of tools I've learned over the past several years, if not for the past like half of the decade or close to a decade now. It's actually hang on, 2014, uh, eight years now. So close to a decade now, where it's just like I've learned so much now as a theater student going forward, and then suddenly as a and for the past you know several years, where it's just like as you said before, as an independent artist, especially in New York City. You know, yeah, I'm just happy to know the type of stuff that I learned over the past, you know, how many years, especially and p- being able to put that into a good use, you know, like last May, uh, I know someone who works at the tank and they were like, hey, we need a, we need an extra hand because the stage uh, kind of like tossing out old stuff in the state in one of the uh, theaters. It's like, can you go help? I'm like, yeah, sure. Just like just send me the details and um, I'll try and bring my own tools if that was needed. And, you know, sure enough, I go to the place and spend like maybe eight hours, like plus maybe eight, yeah, six to eight hours in one place and then work up like say another day for another, another week, because, you know, it's a dusty theater and, you know, I'm not really good with dust and, you know, and working with a mask that is like, that isn't a regular mask, like for like theater stuff, like, you know, like one of those, uh, KN92 mask, and you're just working with a regular mask. Oh, that's just like hell in the sciences as well. Oh, it's and but it is a beast in itself. But last night, being in that theater, especially the tank, and I've been to the tank before as again uh, as a uh, behind the scenes person, stagehand, where it's just like being in a small space like that, and being in a space like yeah, being in a, a space just like that. It was just it was a like a, a experience for me where it's like I need to get back to this stuff and now where it's just like almost a year later I'm just like slowly starting to come back to normal of getting back in theater because even though there were shows opening up over the past uh nine months or so especially going you know over the summer into the in, into the uh into the fall I was like I just cannot get myself out of the house and go see a show while COVID was still like a, um, 
a factor. And then, you know, by the time holidays are rolling around, it seemed to like, oh, slowing down and boom, Omicron hits. I'm like, okay, I'm not getting myself out of, out, out of this house anytime soon goes to a show. Movie is all right because movie is like a, a controlled thing. Um, but in a theater, theater is much more, depending on the theater you go to, theater is very, it's either very large space, like a very big hall somewhere like that, or more intimate space where, you know, the actor could be like literally right up in front of you like this. So yeah, unless that was, huh? That was my, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that was my experience going to see um, CSC's Assassins. Ah. It yeah. was, uh, I was in the front because I had bought myself a ticket for my 30th birthday. And of course, COVID um, hit. So the show was postponed. And I sat in the front and it was a thrust. I don't know if you've been in that space, but it's depending on the show, it's just one large thrust that takes up. So the audience is, um, it's the three, it's the three quarter audience. So you have ah, okay. side, the front and then the side. Um, and then they play to all the angles, which, and I love a thrust. But that was the first time that I had been back really in, in a theater since COVID. I went to go see my cousins into the woods and I was in the front row, but that was a much, that was a huge auditorium. Um, this was a very much enclosed space where everybody was masked and you had to show ID. And that was also really cool because that was also the night that um, they had brought in uh, interpreters for a group that was that was deaf and they and these interpreters were performing the show and so off in the corner of my eye I would see them and they would be you know interpreting the performance for uh, this this particular group of um, people that were watching that were hard of hearing or they were deaf and it was so cool to see assassins in American Sign Language um, I, I wasn't that was I wasn't expecting anyway the point being is that they were all you know the they were all utilizing the stage and there was, they incorporated the face masks um, into the show, which I thought was very interesting. Like there were, there were moments where they would put it on and then they would take it off and then very poignant moments, I might add. Um, and it just made you very aware of the time that you were seeing this particular performance and any performance of Assassins, I mean, given what it's about you know, very much sticks in your mind because of how dark it is and, and what the material is and, you know, how you're kind of following these very famous assassins in, in American history. But this for me was uh, because they talked a lot about, you know, it was like we're being reminded of COVID without being reminded of COVID, you know, and, and it, was, it was very interesting. I was, I was very happy to see it. I was very upset that it closed when it did. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping for a Broadway revival, but who knows? Yeah, it depends on like uh, honestly when you're doing a show on either off Broadway or on Broadway, it all depends. And this is something I learned as a uh, ticket seller, well, not ticket seller, as a ticket agent at uh, Today Ticks, where where I learned all about the revenue and how business goes. Is like if one show is doing good, you know, ticket wise, it doesn't mean it's doing good revenue wise. It's just like even yeah. though you know, even though say you know, Show X had this many tickets you know sold this week that doesn't mean their revenue is you know through the roof and you know ticket sales it just means they had a good, right you know overall yeah uh, i mean uh, no, yeah but yeah a good example of this was um a few years ago i saw in previews uh tootsie and i was like yeah you know tootsie was all right you know it really did its best to try to make the movie 
more contemporary modern even yeah. if it wasn't musical which was a you know an odd taste but you know it's like it, it, it for some reason broadway has this ideology of just going into oh you know let's just take a random movie and make it into a musical see if it works sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't and yeah Twitch, and, and it was like i remember Tootsie being like oh a lot of people going to see Tootsie, and then suddenly every here like oh it you know, closes down after like say a few months or something like that like the same thing happened with Beetlejuice. And now with Beetlejuice coming back to Broadway, it's like, and oddly enough at the same theater where Tootsie once was. So that's even more hilarious. Beetlejuice but, coming uh, back, I think is amazing. Yeah, because that's like a, a, a little like, and this is why I bring it back to the po where point of uh, today text where it was like in the offices, I would just see a lot of people going to see Beetlejuice, but mm -hmm. Okay, I just said three times. I was just looking around. <laughs> just like I said three times. through the window. <laughs> yeah. Hey, right? Hey. Oh my God. But yeah, I, I went to see, you know, as a you know, concierge, that was his official title. You know, mm -hmm. I would go to see how many people were getting tickets. Sometimes it'd be like maybe 20 tickets, but that, you know, 20 envelopes, I mean, but that didn't mean like all oh, 20 tickets altogether. That could be like right. five tickets. That could be like 10 tickets in one envelope or something like that. Sure. And then I would just hear it having like very low revenue because of the theater it was already in, which was um, the Cats. I don't like I don't remember the Winter Garden Theater. I usually just called the Cats Theater because you know that's where Cats was. Yeah. Like yeah. as long as it was, and you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, and before COVID struck down another, th and of course because COVID struck, you know, that was basically the time of you saying, oh, you know, all these. The, uh, all these shows where you know low revenue or low ticket sales even though it didn't look like they had you know low ticket sales all these shows were closing down you know um beauty closed down frozen closed down which was kind of like surprising because i would always see a lot of families going to frozen uh whatever uh and then there were close and then there were shows that didn't even get a chance you know uh, get it's uh just do which was like hangman and now hangman has actually come back to broadway for that that surprised me when i heard yeah. that Hangman was coming back to Broadway. not in a bad way where i was like why are they bringing that back but more in like a oh that's great they're actually giving it a chance beetlejuice really got chipped out because yeah. of the whole scott rudin thing also with the with that two week it sucks because the the tony performance really was the thing that started giving them that revenue that they needed and that bounce that they needed and that love that was needed. I mean, it's, it is one of the most streamed albums now of all time, as well as one of the most talked about things on social media. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad that it has this chance of having a second life at, at a smaller theater. Yeah. But I, I think it's wonderful that there's a theater in that hotel. Um, talk about a great way to get more people involved. And hopefully I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that Beetlejuice does well and breaks that curse. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Like another thing that was I reminded of was a few years ago, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief was on Broadway for like, I mean, it was getting some traction, but it was yeah. also, and it was getting some traction to go people to see it, but it was also right across from Hades Town, which was even getting more traction to get more people to, you know, to, uh, to see that show than it is with, uh, yeah, and I, I I think there there is a lack of, and you bring up a good, very good point where it's just like now there there seems to be a lack of audience anticipation like shows where 
like in the case of Beetlejuice, that is a very audience heavy show where, you know, it gets to a point where it kind of like, where Beetlejuice like literally goes into, like that goes into the crowd, but kind of like toxic crowd and stuff like that too, where he is kind of right. like, like there is no fourth wall for him, you know, because, you know, he's a ghost and he knows everything else, but there are a lot of shows that like, there seems to be a lack of shows where it, it doesn't really thrive on the audience of actually being more okay i go in and a perfect example of this is actually the show that, that kind of like sparked back the energy of me going back into going to see shows and everything else was um playwrights horizons production of tim bone and bones and <laughs> going to see that show you know i only know about it of of it being essentially oh these two characters are, are trapped in a mental show and it's trying to escape from the the show itself and sure enough like as the show is starting and then you're sitting in the thing you know these two characters like literally start talking to the audience like they're you know it, it gets to a point where they are talking to the audience they actually go out in the audience you know and in, in not really a, a big spoiler but they actually do find the playwright and actually go into the audience to grab the playwright and then essentially take the playwright onto stage and then rip him out you know rip him out just to find all these you know all find this money underneath there i was like okay that's actually a great way to actually use the whole notion of there is no fourth wall but there is still like a fourth wall between the audience and the uh the play itself where it's just like there is still the play itself like there's the action stuff like that too but the audience still has their notion of Oh, okay. You know, you know, we're just the right people watching it, and we could actually live it, but we can't really live it outside of just doing some certain actions. I think that we we live in a world in which we were trained to not respond to a show in the way that maybe we should. Um, and it take for the example Diana, right? People would go and sit down and and maybe not like you no, maybe not diana let me take the case of diana and let me take the case of like uh phantom of the opera yeah just a pure example there's yeah, no pure example. Phantom of the opera like you go in you sit down you watch everything that happens you don't really participate in the show right whereas or you don't show your we're kind of just learned to you know, we're kind of just trying to sit down and, and, and shut up and just watch the show and not really interact with it, in, except silently. You know, we can't really like yell when the phantom appears in the mirror. We can't just be like, wow, watch out. There's a, there's a news spoiler. There's a news behind you. Yeah. Uh, oh my God, the doll is alive. Like, you know, stuff like that. Whereas with Diana, you go in there and you're just screaming for Diana. You're screaming for the dress. You are, you know, you're, you're participating. It's like you're in the show with them. Yeah. Makes any sense. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that the fun, I think that sometimes with certain shows, now obviously with shows like To Kill a Mockingbird, the more, the, the very serious kind of yeah. show. I, I think that maybe, you know, kind of sitting and taking in and not maybe participating and, and being involved with that kind of show is obviously appropriate. But I think for like a fun show like Diana, Hamilton, even Hadestown. Yeah. Um, even, uh, 
you know, with Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 when that was on Broadway, that was really, that fed off the audience and yeah. their reactions. And I think that, you know, you're not to be dramatic, but, you know, as an audience and as a theater maker, you kind of have this pact between the two of you that's kind of unspoken that, okay, well, you're going to be involved. I'm going to be involved in this show and you're going to be involved watching the show and you can react and it's okay to react. Um, I kind of want to, I mean, I think that obviously theater is changing. Theater is always evolving. And I think we're definitely going in a direction where it's certainly changing. I think for the better, oh, yeah. I think that people feel a little bit more free to be vocal and to feel like they have the permission to, to participate more in, in these shows. And obviously to, to a appropriate extent, you know, like you don't want the opening notes of the Lion King where Rafiki is, you know, singing to be like, wow, unless it was the reopening night for the Broadway. Yeah, uh, and you bring out very, you know, various good points where it's just like there is a, a, a lack of real energy going into Broadway. Uh, you know, if it's a serious play, like say, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird or say, um, uh, like, a like a serious play, like To Kill a Mockingbird, that's something that's just very, you go in, you watch the show, you get entertained like that. But if it's like a more energetic show, like say um, the, the the other uh, Lin Manuel uh, show that he does, uh, uh, Hamilton. No, 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 no. Uh, no, 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 no. It's uh, it's um, freestyle love supreme. Yeah, for freestyle love for supreme. That's a more energetic show that you know thrives on the audience, you know, participation and stuff like that too. Of course, where it's just like you need to be in that show. I mean, and, and you need to thrive on that show. Uh, I think. Maybe America Utopia does the same thing, but I'm not really sure because I know it is sort of like the same. I know it's like it's David Bird's songs, but I'm not sure if he does it like, you know, almost like a concert, whereas just like he kind of like performs it in a concert like way. But I could be wrong. I could be right. It could be a little bit both. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't speak to American Utopia. I've never seen it. Um, but there are people in CTC that have that maybe that you can certainly ask. Okay. But I totally understand what you're coming from. And I think that, um, I don't know, I just feel like we got to give ourselves more permission to be involved. I mean, look at look at Ratatouille the musical, which I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with. It was that TikTok musical. That was all written by people that are fans of the movie. Yeah. Performed by people, by act by Broadway actors, professional, like real seasoned Broadway actors. That was a collaboration between the audience and um, these professionals that at one point you thought that maybe there was a wall between the two. Now I think that wall kind of broke a little bit, especially now that we're in, you know, we're in a very virtual world where everything is connected and we can do things like virtual theater. Um, yeah. and, and, and in that realm, you can participate even more with each and other. Speaking of virtual theater, it kind of like goes right into a great segue of how did chaos theory collective come about even though chaos theory collective is not its original name we you know you had original name before but kind of got tossed into um certain rights issues and stuff like that too but but yeah go you know go back like two years ago where you know for me two years ago i was still a college student in brooklyn college I was like legitimately about to, I was legitimately on the last day of class 
right before everything closed down because we only heard it was like, oh, two week, uh, it was gonna be a two week break. And then we returned to class. Hopefully everything will be better. It didn't go better, you know, and then sure enough, you know, I remember being in that classroom, being with my classmates and not knowing what the future was holding for us, right? And, yeah. you know, I remember being so nervous that I actually essentially just said, you know what, fuck this, I'm out, I'm out of this, I'm out, I'm out, I'm going back home, you know, you know, yeah. it, it was like, I just saw too many people nervous, you know, too, you know, uh, one of my, even one of my uh, classmates actually came up sick as a dog because he had the, uh, like a stomach flu. And I was just like too, too worried about, okay, what if that's not the stomach flu and she has like COVID and stuff like that too, you know? And yeah, it, you know, it got to a point where it's like, even when I'm on my bus, uh, the bus ride to college, there was this old guy who was just like randomly coughing on people just like, just for the hell of it. Because he was just like, as someone was getting up, he was like, <coughs> you know, stuff like that too. And he was just being an asshole. But I just remember being on that day, so nervous and so, you know, ner you know, a nervous wreck. By the time I got home, I was just like, I definitely do need, you know, just to stay inside and, you know, and, you know, stuff like that too. And then sure enough, we get the, the, the notion of, oh, you know, I'm sorry folks, but we're not going, you know, uh, there was cases of COVID happening on the Brooklyn College campus. I was like, okay, we're, we're not going back to school anytime school. I mean, we're not going back to class anytime school. Ugh. We're not going back to class anytime soon. There we go. And of course, you know, being a student and trying to finish a semester online, when a lot of your class, where the primarily, where two of your classes are very hands-on practical classes, like I had my theater class of divisive theater, which is basically a collaborative theater effort where we're basically in the element of my group and I, we're talking about ideas and stuff like that too. My other class was my uh, production class of prop making. So I'd be in the, in the prop shop, creating stuff, all that stuff, seeing what, you know, what we could create in a matter of like a week or two and then i had my health class was essentially was my health class was essentially death and dying so so you know right. excellent that, yeah. that must have been great oh yeah you know uh and the best thing about that class was that my professor was a uh is a former hospital nurse but in a hospice worker so she knew all this stuff happening so she's like just don't worry about it just keep yourself uh sane and you know sanitize you're perfectly okay but as a student it was horrifying because you know we had and, and then i graduated over online anyway so it was like right but i imagine coming as a person who isn't really primarily working in theater but still loves theater i imagine like seeing all this stuff like closed down there's no there's no acting stuff that sort of thing too where it's just like what was your mindset of what can I do to continue on liking the theater without thinking, oh, you know, what can, you know, like, like, what can I do to remind myself that, oh, there is theater. So how did the Zoom readings come about where it's just like, yeah. Uh, well. A long about way of asking how'd you get, in, how did this thing come about? But, you know, I like to, <laughs> I like to fill Fill my time with a, a random thought that seem, somehow could, that ends with an actual thought. And random thoughts that lead into very lovely thoughts. Thank you. When Broadway 
the day that Broadway shut down, I knew this was serious. And I was working, I was working at my job and a lot of people were, it's a lot of people were um, nervous and they didn't know what to expect. The whole thing kind of skyrocketed within a week, as you remember. That's so funny because I had actually done a show the night, that Thursday night before the, that Thursday night, I think the day before Broadway shut down. And I think essentially like New York shut down um, and we were all told to, you know, do the lockdown. I, I had done a show for the Astoria Performing Arts Center and we were all, we all went out later that night. And I remember there being kind of an air of uncertainty. Yeah. No one really thought that Broadway was going to shut down. We just assumed it was going to be like something quick. No one knew the the seriousness of, of what we all knew was going to come. So I ended up going home back home to New Jersey uh, to my parents' house. I got out of New York. Um, you know, my job was like, don't don't come into work. Like, we'll we'll figure it out. Bring your laptop. You could still work from home. And my parents just said, come home. We thought it, at that point, we all thought it was the 15 days that it was going to yeah. flatten the curve. And lo and behold, here we still are. Um, and at that point, you know, everybody that I knew was on a tour, was on Broadway, was doing a regional show. My friends that were currently building props and sets, they all lost their jobs. Yeah. That's about 85% of my friends. And you know, you know how it is. We all, we all were scrolling through social media and I was yeah. scrolling and I saw, you know, all my friends just hopping onto what was Zoom. Like, you know, I just, I had, I had just downloaded it for work and, you know, I saw people hopping on and doing, you know, the, the Zoom readings and, and, you know, connecting with each other. People that you hadn't spoken to in years were reconnecting. And, yeah. And I remember just going through my newsfeed and and just seeing how sad a lot of people were that they weren't able to perform or act or whatever. And so in my head, I just said, you know, what if I did something just like a one-off of reading of Hamlet and I'll see who's involved. I didn't think anybody was going to be interested. I, I didn't know. So just a shot in the dark, I posted it on my personal Facebook page and I said, hey, I'm going to try using this thing called Zoom. (laughs) Um, This thing called Zoom. This thing called Zoom. That was when Zoom, like, you didn't have to pay for, you didn't have to pay for it. And they were just letting everybody, like, kind of extend at that point. Yeah. I said, if anybody is interested, just send send me a comment below, which is what I did for a year when I was continuing with these reads. But now, you know, now we have the group and all that stuff. So I had about 20 people reach out to me and say, hey, they were interested. And some of them were people that I hadn't spoken to in years. And some of them were people that, you know, I had worked with on shows in the past. It was very much like a world collide situation, which is something I have always imagined would happen and, and would and had massive joy if it did happen. And it and here we are virtually, obviously not in person, but like yeah. you know, friends from way back when and from Wagner we're meeting people that I had just worked with on shows and they were all kind of coming together and, and reading reading Hamlet and it was very exciting um and by the time we ended 
I had a couple of people say, hey, can we do this again? I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, same time next week, sure. And I chose, at that point, I chose to do The Pillow Man by Martin McDonough, which was a play that I would love to direct at some point in my life. I'd never, never, never been involved with it. Would love to still do it. And I found a PDF of it. And I was like, this could be something interesting and fun to do over Zoom. And I reached out to two of my friends uh, who I, again, one of them I hadn't spoken to in about eight years because we were in two different grades at Wagner and he was on cruise ships and I was, you know, traveling. So we had, you know, we had just said like happy, we we share the same birthday. So we'd said like happy birthday to each other. That was about it. And he played this particular role in, uh, in college, as well as my other friend uh, who I reached out to. I don't know if you, do you know Eric Patillo? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Well, he's on Staten Island. He's a, if you have the chance to work with him, work with him. He's a, he's a genius. If there's ever been one uh, theatrical, like brilliant, brilliant director, brilliant guy. Hmm. Uh, I had reached out to Eric and, and my friend, Matt. And I said, listen, this is kind of crazy. But how would you feel about doing a Zoom reading of the Pillow Man? These two guys had played the roles that I wanted them for. I, I in college, I had that was my first show that I ever saw at Wagner, was the student production of the Pillow Man, and they were unbelievably good. Um, and I ever said if I direct the Pillow Man or if I ever do anything with the Pillow Man, those two I I will not do it unless those two are in it. Yeah. And lo and behold, they came in and did it on Zoom. I was genuinely shocked. When they said yes, um, and I had people come back and, and people were reading and I had a little bit of an audience and it was great. And then the same thing happened the following week. I did A Midsummer Night's Dream and more people joined. The week after that, I did The Skin of Our Teeth. More people joined. Then I did Inherit the Wind, um, which was at that point the biggest, I think I had 20, and maybe 20, 25 people in that read. Wow. And it was electric is the best word that I can describe that particular read. Everybody was on point. And at that point it had been people that I had worked with at my time when I was working in a restaurant, people I had worked with, like, it was just my entire, all my worlds were colliding. There was at least one person from um, a contract or school or whatever doing this show. And it was unbelievable. I I was sitting there watching on my screen what I felt like was live theater, which it was essentially, they were all doing it live. And at that point, we weren't streaming. You know, we didn't start streaming these reads until September of 2020. Yeah. And um, I remember just sitting in awe that night after the read. And I said, this is, this is unbelievable. This is something really special. Um, I had never felt anything like it before doing shows. I, it was inspiring. And that's kind of the beginning of what was then known as variations. Yeah. I'd come up with the name just kind of on a whim. And then like you said, yes, um, I had a, I, there was a theater company unbeknownst to me. I had no idea that this theater company existed and they did reach out to me and they said, Hey, we do exist. Um, just so you know. And I said, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. And then I put it with a vote to the group, which I don't know if you remember that I did. Yeah, Okay, so I posted in our private group, you know, hey, I want to change the name. This is what happened. I don't want to steal anything. So we're going to vote on a new name. If you have any suggestions, let me know. And then someone had put down Chaos Theory Collective, and then I had changed it to Chaos Theater Collective. 
uh, just to have it make a little bit more sense. And it fits us very, very well. Yeah, because a lot of the times that we do do readings, these live readings, it is kind of very chaotic because one, uh, you know, a perfect example of this was probably our past reading of uh, we just did a Spider-Man into the uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse reading, and one of the actors, Dante, his computer decided to crash out, yep. like almost like early reading, and then you would just see him kind of like froze and was like, "Oh crap!" Like, <laughs> like he's frozen, and then me and Jarrell were like, "No," <laughs> but. The thing is, is that these cold readings, yeah, I think are are fascinating, and they you bring your you bring your best kind of most raw self to it. Um, and the movies, the movies didn't really happen until July of 2020 because someone had suggested to me, "What if we do Moonstruck?" Yeah, and I said, "What ho, brilliant idea." And Which it was kind of makes sense because Moonstruck was uh, a, a John Patrick John Patrick yes. thing. So you know John and Patrick apparently he's already playwright, so might as well just do a uh, movie that was written by him. It's so yeah, those movies. I mean, he writes beautifully, and and his movies do transform into plays brilliantly. I am genuinely shocked there has not been a Moonstruck adaption yet, and I'm hoping that there never is. <laughs> to be quite with you because there are some things that shouldn't be touched. I lost my hand. Just like who's got Nicholas Cage. Huh, sweetie? And and out Nicholas Cage on on stage without trying like without I I will say the cast of Moonstruck, the the people that read everybody was was perfect in their role. We had the the person that played Loretta is an actor named Brendan McCann. And Brendan, I had no idea that Brendan was as prepared as he was. And he came on with the wig. He came on something like Cher. Um, and to this day, I, I will never forget that particular performance of his. Because he, he, he's done Legally Blonde with us. He, he did Working Girl. He's done, if we ever do The Witches of Eastwick, he'll come back and read the Cher role. Um, but I was just cracking up so much with, with that particular read because everybody was on point again the thing that I love about these readings is that every week for the most part they continue to astound me the talent and I and I've seen this too like the talent that we have in this group it's astonishing it's it's astonishing it really is I I am constantly in awe of the people that come in and read I'm also constantly in awe of the people that continuously come back to read um and, and come out and I love how collaborative we are. I love that people bring in new ideas and I love that if people have a character, we'll go over it during office hours and we'll say, hey, what if we try this? And of course I'll say yes, because you know I want this to be a space where people feel like they can come and, and try something and not be judged and, and kind of experiment and do roles that they normally wouldn't play they, or think they wouldn't play because of typing or, yeah. Ever the, the cases in in the theater world, which because we all know typing is unfortunately a real thing. Yeah. Shouldn't be, but it is. I know firsthand, so yeah. Yeah. So I mean it's uh typing, typing, typing. And I don't I don't I'm not particularly a fan of that. I want I want to be like I said, I want to, to be different. I want to 
and I'm, and I really hope that um, I'm bringing my best, you know, I really hope that people feel in our group that, you know, they, they can try to do different things and there is no judgment, you know, because I know how tough it is to come forward and, and to feel vulnerable in a space, especially with people that you don't know. And especially when you're on a screen, yeah. it's, it's tough. I've performed a few times on in that group. I'm not an, and like I said, I'm no actor yeah. and to go against people like, like you and people like Izzy Wolfson and Marsha and, and Henry Murphy, Murray, I'm sorry. And it's very intimidating. <laughs> I know, know? It, it is. They're like, it really I'm, is. Like sometimes from on my thing, I'm like, ah, oh, I can't. I was like, like, like this, like a perfect example will probably be this, this past reading of uh, Into the Spider-Verse where it was like, I'll be on the same screen. And then there's like, I forgot who played kingpin but i was like this the guy who's playing kingpin i'm like oh my god he, he's just like he's just too perfect as, as kingpin oh, tim like, lawton yeah tim is just, oh. he's just too great as kingpin i'm like oh man it's like and then he, here i am trying to like do my best uh private eye type of voice and everyone else is just having fun with it i'm just like i'm having fun with it too but i'm just like it gets so nerve-wracking yeah it is a little nerve-wracking but it also makes sense with the name chaos theater where it's just like in theater chaos has to thrive because otherwise if you're with an unalternate uh, well and on like a very i'll just say a very bland type of a production background and you're not doing anything really big in that thing you know you don't want a production that's very bland you know if it's a very bland production it's like, why are you even watching this? Aside from just watching your friends or something like that. Well, the but, beauty of, oh yeah. Yeah, but the beauty of live theater, it thrives on chaos because you could be on stage waiting for your cue to go up, but the light cue above you is still not lighting you. So you have to wait until a light cue goes onto the thing. And you could actually play it off with that. It's like, ah, finally, the sun finally hit me and it, it goes straight into your next line. There but, is a there is an order out of the chaos yeah. that theater creates, which I think is beautiful. Yeah, and without that order in from that chaos, the theater I you know theater would not be the best form of entertainment outside of say you know film or TV. You know, at least with film and TV, you could get like as many takes as you want, and then feel like okay, uh, we done like fifteen takes. I think take thirteen was probably the best one. Maybe take eight maybe as well we'll just splice that together in post and see how it works right. but in live theater live theater is like oh you trip on stage just don't worry about it just walk it off and then just go right into your thing it's like the, the theater has to thrive in chaos otherwise there is no like you know it's like i've been to shows where it's like nothing really goes right behind the scenes like i remember on a dress rehearsal where we had to essentially take out the set in a matter of like say two minutes and the problem was that the split the the, the set was also split you know split apart right right problem was one of the, the things you know we did all that all fine but the problem was we had to essentially lift a table up and the table was like say 20 30 pounds like it, it was a heavy table so me and my other uh, uh, stage hand we were literally trying to 
pull it off as the, the curtain was raised and the director was like, ah, damn it, cut first. I mean, stop for a second. And it got to a point where it was like, okay, uh, we got to really think about, you know, how to handle it. And of course, uh, my uh, theater, uh, uh, like the theater, like the theater department's magician as it was, because he is like a legitimate magician when it comes to like uh, fixing things on the fly. You know, next day he had like a little, um, a little like wheel thing to help you roll the thing. So you don't have to worry about, you know, carrying it off to say off to the side. So yeah, without theater, I mean, without chaos in theater, it wouldn't feel right because you do right. need, um, you do need that chaotic energy going into a, a show to thrive better because yeah, otherwise it'd just be like, oh, you know, just going to- I can just, give you, uh, on another day, I can give you an infinite amount of stories of the shows that I've been on where it's just been chaotic. Yeah. And had to make we've had to make like cheesecake out of bran <laughs> you know what I mean um it would work yeah but I've had to fight bats I've had to fight mice I've had to fight set pieces that wouldn't roll um I've had to fit I've had to fight locking tables together and then not locking. So me having to dive under the curtain during Spamalot's tack number and hold them together so that they wouldn't split so King Arthur wouldn't fall. Yeah. You, the audience. Um, running on stage in full light in my blacks, throwing a cow on a bus. <laughs> Kid you not, that was a thing. Like a cutout cow on a cardboard bus. Oh, um, okay. Oh no, it wasn't a real cow. No, no, I, I thought that was a, a expression <laughs> I had never heard of before. It was like a cow on a bus. I'm like, wait, okay. Cow on a bus. No, I literally had to put a two-dimensional flat cardboard cow with its hooves sticking up like this on the front of a bus for the boy the musical world premiere. That was fun. Wow. <laughs> um yeah, I can I can definitely tell you some stories. Yeah. Uh, like another it's like. I, I remember a quick story about this was like just related to that was that the theater department really didn't have in Brooklyn College didn't really have a you know a space and all that stuff you know they had space but we had to basically go from one building to another theater uh, another building like you know it's essentially across campus and this building was essentially hotter than hell because there was mm -hmm. there was you know there is we always joke there's always two temperatures in that building cold or hotter than hell. There was no in between in that place. And in that place, you know, we had a sense of cry, you know, go into a very moist, hot den of like sweat to figure out where we get all these things. And then when we had, and then when we have to bring it onto stage, you know, bring it back all the way to to the other to the uh, primary theater, which is again halfway across another, you know, another campus part away. And then figuring out oh we need more props so we have to go downstairs and bring up those stuff from downstairs and use the um the uh, the thing about broken college is that there's essentially like two theaters there's the main theater and then there's a abandoned theater that really hasn't been used correct i think they were starting to use it but then COVID hit and then they were like okay you know i don't think they'll probably do any performance there in a while but the great thing about that theater it has a lift on stage so you can actually right. like literally go stow down like on the lift on the stage and just like the entire platform goes down 
so we could go so when we we're you know down uh downstairs you know make everything you know what we need and then go into lift repeat the process what needed so yeah it, without that sort of like order and in you know, like that chaos and order and i could i could easily hear like the type of stories you probably have in mind of like the like the days of yeah i mean we could literally have a podcast of like i mean a podcast episode of just like <sighs> days where theater went off the rails <laughs> yeah, exactly oh yeah i've got about 10 years of those stories for you <laughs> um i can only have like maybe a few stories of mine without really trying to go like yeah it's like without the, like without going off the rails like that's like how i do what this show sometimes you know it definitely feels like oh you know there is an idea of chaos and and theater almost like being very hand in hand. I also, well, the, the name also kind of came about because of all the stuff that we do do. And we yeah. do, like we've done, we've done the, we've done Shakespeare, we've done modern plays, we've done classic plays, we've done Star Wars, we've done our own original stuff. We've done radio plays, we've done novels. Like we've, we've done a good variety of things. The only thing I think we haven't done is car reading cartoons. Yeah. If I, yeah. nope, we haven't done it. I think we were, to, Who Framed Roger Rabbit almost was our final read last year. Like it was this close between that and Lord of the Rings, which would have been our first kind of animated um, feature. But, but, but that's, no, I lied to you. I lied. We did Inside Out. Oh yeah, we did. Oh, you did. We lied to you. I forgot that. I forgot Pixar. Duh. Oh, and How's Moving Cat. Oh my God, I'm so dumb. How's <laughs> Castle too was their first read of the beginning. Oh, I've been doing this for two years. That's what happens after two years. It's like after a while, your mind just starts going to mush, especially if it's, you've been on a th the same thought process. Like I've been doing this show for almost two years now. Same thought process of you know trying to figure oh. out <laughs> new ways to remember stuff, and then suddenly like oh yeah that actually happened and then and then you know i could be like in my editing mode and it's like oh by the way this actually happened you know this is me right. like oh by the way i haven't forgot this actually happened so you know we have um we have a ctc does have an archive of um the shows that we have done i was reading through it recently because i was updating it i realized it hadn't been updated since the middle of 2021 and i was said oh we got to fix that and i was going through and i was um seeing the amount of work that we've done yeah what a gift what i know for what a gift to be working what a gift to first of all have the internet to um meet people outside of the u.s you know oh, yeah. yeah people in canada we've got people in england we had you know we had somebody in spain we had somebody in russia um you know first of all how how lucky are we to be alive in that age secondly how lucky are we to be doing these consistent reads with the people that are in this group. Oh yeah. Uh, it's I can't wait to see the I can't wait to see some of these people make it on the Broadway stage because they will. And what a gift. That's just yeah. all this that's all this is really for me is like it's it's such a treat and a gift to be working with these people 
month after month, week after week, year after year, because we're coming on, you know, 2020, like, I don't know. How do you categorize this? Do you categorize this as like this being year number two or 2000, like, you know, March 17th being like the third year of COVID or I don't know how you. I honestly don't know. It's like, as a well, right I guess now, 2021, 2022. So I guess like year number two that we've been doing this, it just feels like 20, like we've been doing this, dealing with this kind of virus since 2019. Cause technically that's when it came into the country. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't really a big thing until March because of all the people coming off of the like, you know, yeah. vacation and stuff like that too. But anyway, that's a different topic. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a different topic. That's a, 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 a much anyway. sadder topic. I think anyway. that I think that we're we're very lucky to be alive in this age where we are able to connect as much as I despise social media about but as we are in March right now, and as you kind of like joke to uh, the the group chat that you know right now in March I'm at, I'll be directing one to play well not really a play but I am trying to format as a play I'm, I'm directing Alien Ridley Scott's Alien which I cannot yeah. wait to actually do, you know get into a mindset of who to cast and stuff like that too especially mm-hmm. as you pointed out there's a lot of great people in uh, in I thought say variations in, in uh, <laughs> see this <laughs> what happens. Might I add that these are, I just want to put this like on the podcast. These are readings that we do not make a profit off of. And no, 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 of course not. <laughs> I just want to say, I just want to make that very, very, very clear to the of people. Course that- not. But <laughs> as we as we are now in March, you know, it, it, you know, now would be probably a great time to uh, say like, oh, um, since we're in March and we'll be going into our like first couple of readings like what can we uh expect a chaos theater collect to start doing at the end for this entire month we have actually a good lot of good things on the docket which is fantastic we have um the graduate directed by hayden lomas coming up we have a reading of that we had a reading of the taming by laura gunderson um, happening, but I, and I haven't made this announcement yet, and I will make it here on your podcast. But I think by the time this comes out, it'll probably be announced. So I'm not sure. But regardless, um, instead of the taming, uh, just because of scheduling reasons and stuff like that, we are not able to do it. Um, the director was not able to to do the reading, and it does not feel right to go forward without her at the helm. Yeah. So I decided to do Treasure Island by Brian E. Lavery. <laughs> because and someone someone sent me the script and I've been wanting to do that for a very very long time and I think that especially doing it during Women's History Month um considering the fact that Robert Louis Stevenson said that Treasure Island was really only for boys and now we're you know well Robert Louis Stevenson bring on the women and people who identify as non-binary because here we come yeah. um you know I think that that particular adaption really blend, lends itself well to um, people of, of all genders yeah. to, uh, to participate. And then, um, uh, what else are we doing? We're gonna do Alien, directed by you. Hey. We're doing um, a Sarah Rule play directed by my friend Maggie, who I don't think you've met. Um, she's an original, she's an original CTC member. She hasn't done the readings in a while and she's coming back. I'm so excited to have her back. She's going to be doing this play by Sarah Rule called In the Next Room or the Vibrator Play. Um, <laughs> pretty much what I just said. I won't, I won't give it 
too much too much away, but it's definitely a play that um, I think will will has a lot of heart to it, and I think people will really enjoy once they get past the title. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, we may be doing uh, a couple other things here and there. I haven't set them in stone yet, but I would like to take a little bit more of a breather going forward. Um, yeah. Of spacing out the reads a little bit more strictly because live theater is coming back and people you know now that we're now that we're entering the endemic phase of covid and life is returning to a sense of normalcy you know the mandates are getting lifted all that stuff which is great um virtual theater i think is suffering just a little bit because everybody is going back yeah rehearsals and live shows which I think is wonderful for for them to get back into that live theater mode but I really do hope that people don't forget that virtual theater is now um, in our realm of possibility and also it opens up a whole world of accessibility that should be in live theater but it's really not yeah because like I I mentioned this idea before Uh, I forgot with who but the idea of say you know you live out in Uh you know, maybe in like Wisconsin or something like that, and you wanted to go see a Broadway show. Right. But you couldn't really get a, the, the tickets to, I mean, you couldn't get the flight, you know, say you had tickets to see a Broadway show in like two weeks and like maybe a week before you went out to go see it, your flight was canceled or recalled because of like some like some sort of error. So you had these tickets to go see, I don't know, Fan Up the Opera or something like that, or footloose or what have you and sure enough you have this technology now where it's like maybe Broadway theaters could actually say okay uh, we could incorporate live theater into your computer by streaming a zoom link or something like that where it's just like okay there is a link where it's like you go to see you know say okay you know a of this show, you know, there's a webcam pointing into the stage or what have you, or they're using cameras from the house or so forth and so on. And then you'll be able to watch a show from, you know, from that thing. But of course, you know, that's still a, a highly, uh, to coin, uh, to use your uh, thing, uh, to use a phrase, chaotic I mean, chaotic environment where it's just like you're kind of like trying to do just a, a lot. You're kind of watching something via Zoom, a live thing, you know, a live reading or something like that. But at the same time, live streaming a performance, especially if it's like on Facebook or something like that or YouTube, it doesn't really work out still because, you know, they still have like technical issues going to, you know, do like that. You know, I, I remember a few times. In, CTC where it's like there were like technical issues going forward of trying to like gain stuff, you know, aired on time or Matt Q who does our streams wasn't there that night. So anything that was right. that night would be recorded and then set as a later date, you know, but. I'm like, you know, and, and with CTC, you know how I roll where like, you know, I do believe that real life comes first. And if you need to, you know, even if you sign up for a read or if Matt Hume's case, like if he decides to, if he has, you know, other obligations or he just can't, can't do it with that night for whatever reason, like that's fine. And I think more people need to be like that. I think people need to be more understanding and, and more flexible of, um, 
the availability. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, these readings, like, yes, they're cold reads and yes, they're one night a week. And yeah, you, you want to keep that commitment, but sometimes you're just not in the mental headspace to do it, to, to perform in the read. Oh, yeah. You know? But, but yeah, no, I understand, I understand what you're saying about the technical stuff and it, and it happens, it, yeah. but you know, like look at Clyde's just did that Clyde's on, on broad on, I'm sorry, off Broadway by Lynn Nottage just did that. Um, they filmed it. I think the last 16 performances, I think they filmed it for the archives, but then they also streamed the last 16 performances for people who couldn't afford it. And I'm like, that's great. Look at Hamilton. Hamilton did that. They filmed the original, the original cast, and then they released it during COVID. Yeah, so because they needed something to uh, to get people ideally back to to the theater. Because, and of course, uh, Hamilton is a very big performance, and it's still going on. Like say, what was it like six, seven years later? You know, X amount of years later, and you know, they're definitely going stronger than ever because of right. Well, they also wanted to do something for for COVID too. Yeah. They were like, you know, everyone's home, and like, yes, it was a it's a, it's a very smart marketing move on Disney. It was a very smart marketing move on the Hamilton people, but they also did it for the people because they yeah. know people can't afford to go see Hamilton. Let's be honest here. Sorry, well, oh. sorry, Hamilton fans, but let's be honest here. Like it, those tickets are just like the Music Man and just like any other very successful show. They are so expensive and people can't go see them. <laughs> I'm just reminded of actually something from Spider-Man 2 where Peter Parker actually went to go see Mary Jane on Broadway. And mm -hmm. there's actually a, t a little prop that actually shows you how much those tickets are. And I was looking to see the prop and I'm like, that's like $80 tickets just with like two, like either one or two tickets. And I'm like, even if Mary Jane was able to get him like say comp tickets and stuff like that too, He's still in the orchestra street, and orchestra seats are still amazingly, amazingly high. So even if those were like mm -hmm. discounted tickets, Peter Peter was probably watching that show like at a, at a discounted price to probably people who probably paid him at full price were probably like maybe one hundred twenty dollars, one hundred thirty dollars, or something like that. Especially since not all theaters are the are the same, but yeah. Well, music music band tickets at one point were selling for six ninety nine in the orchestra. $699. Who the hell has $699 that they can go see a two and a half hour Broadway show? Not a lot of people that I know. And that is also a problem. It, that, that, it all just stems back from accessibility. Theater yeah. should be accessible for the people. It should not be accessible just for a certain, a certain um, group of people who can afford it. Like people who are, I hate to say it, but people that are rich. It should, theater should not just be for the rich people. It should be for everybody. And we got to start figuring out ways as a community that we can record the shows and show them the people who maybe can't afford to go explore to even a $40 lottery ticket. And Glides is a great example of what they did. And the Lincoln Center. Lincoln Center is doing this new thing where it's pay as you pay what you want. You go to the box office and apparently you say, hey, I can only afford paying a $10 ticket. And that's it. There are certain shows that you can do that now. And I'm like, Let's get more of that accessibility there. And I think that's a great way to actually end the episode. So, yeah, I know we would like to talk more, but, you know, again, it, it, just being it's honest, so long. It, it's, it, one, it's, it's kind of tiring, tiring to go back and forth after a long conversation, even, even when, even if we're in like in the thick of the moment and like it just goes on and on. It's like, you know, I, I like to have it like, you know, kind of, 
kind of uh, presentable in a matter of way, but yeah. Barry, uh, oh, before we go, do you have any social media do you want to plug? You know, especially, um, especially with this kind of group. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, well, Chaos Theater Collective does not have a website, but we do have a Facebook page literally called the Chaos Theater Collective. Uh, we have an Instagram that unfortunately is not very active at the moment, and that's on me, but I'm working on that. So my apologies, social media world. And if you want to follow me, um, my my Instagram handle is Valerie Camellia, the numeral one. And then you can also find me on Facebook. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah. And if, you, if anyone is ever interested in participating in the reads, because I'm a firm believer that theater should be for uh, not just actors, but it should be for anybody that wants to be an actor or anybody that has an interest in it. Uh, they can reach out to you, Brian, or they can certainly reach out to me. Um, of yeah, of course. And on that note, thank you for, uh, please, uh, thank you. <laughs> on that note, thank you for <laughs> joining us today on Call Time with Barry. Uh, oh, fuck. Uh, anyway, th thank you for joining us today <laughs> for of this interview with uh, with, uh, with this great person that I know of for the past year or so. Uh, yeah, uh, that's the end of the episode. I have no idea who the next guest is. So, I mean, I do have an idea, but it's, as I say before, <laughs> uh, it's kind of like a guest game to who, we, who, who the next guest is. And I already know, but you don't. So anyway, please, please be safe, be well, take care, have a great day, everyone, or great night. Anyway. Good night, everybody. Care.